Nathan Wilson's new Southern Garden Show is on the air. Your host, Nathan Wilson, with Lanier Nursery and Gardens in Flowery Branch, Georgia, is excited about providing information every gardener and non-gardener, homeowner, and apartment dweller can use. From vegetables to containers and compost to pruning shears, Nathan Wilson's new Southern Garden Show is here for you. Now here's Nathan. Well, good morning, gang, and welcome to New Southern Garden. Of course, I'm your gardening pal, Nathan Wilson, and I'm, as always, glad that you've decided to join us on this second day, I was going to say first day, but second day of July. We're in a new month, right at the beginning. As a matter of fact, the other day I was, I wasn't thinking about what I was humming, but I was working humming Christmas songs. And somebody stops me and says, what, what are you doing? I said, what do you mean, what am I doing? I said, you're humming Christmas songs. I said, well, it's, it's July. We're closer to Christmas than we are to New Year's, you know, at this point. <laughs> so we are on the downhill slope of 2022. But just because we're headed towards the end of this year, already passing the middle of this year, doesn't mean that we should be down. No, we should be up and excited about changing our gardens, continuing to grow, to grow something and grow it well. Now, it's been tough. I will, I will admit, it's been tough. We have finally, I've been getting some reports, been getting some reports about the lack of rain we're having. And it's rough. It's not been easy for many of us. I know we've had some scattered showers here and there across our area. I will say that my area, my garden, is pretty dry. And I've had to do some irrigation. I've had to, to water some of the beans. I tell you what, the beans just sort of started shrinking back. We haven't had much rain at all. And what we've had just been tiny amounts so with that being said i was going to sort of summarize here we've got the usda drought monitor report and drought has returned to our area it has returned to our area almost almost the entire state of georgia is under some kind of drought condition up here in Northeast Georgia, particularly, we are abnormally dry, which is sort of that first stage. And then some parts of, say, middle South Georgia and some patches towards the further East Georgia are moderately or under a moderate drought. Now, the worst of it is down in coastal Georgia, the north end of the coast, Savannah right along the river, and then maybe half of the coast, about two counties away from the coast, is covered with severe drought. Now, this report is uh, as of June 21st. June 21st, so that was a few days ago. 
But it still gives us an indication that things are dry and USDA is monitoring it to at least let us know. I mean, I don't think we need the USDA to tell us that it's dry. All we have to do is walk outside, look at the wilting plants. And folks, uh, there is a well-established hedge of forsythia at, at our house that has probably been there 20 years. And guess what? Almost the entire hedge is, is wilting. Now, that's a well-established plant that should be able to endure, and it's just going to survive. I mean, if we ever do get a good, nice, drenching, uh, saturating rain, this baby will perk up. But as of now, almost every leaf on the plant, and they're big plants, at least five, six feet tall, and definitely wider than that, but almost every leaf is wilting. Now, the rest of the story here, let's see. So if we look at how USDA monitors the drought situation, we start with no drought, abnormally dry, which is our condition now, moderate drought, which is some areas of the state, and then, of course, the severe drought um, is down towards coastal Georgia. Now, there's two more. There's two more categories, extreme drought, and then the last one they call D4 is exceptional drought, exceptional drought. So I hope we don't get to that exceptional drought stage. I hope that we do see some rain and do see some resaturating of the earth because our gardens need it. And even though we can irrigate and and we can use, whether you're on well water or city water or maybe you irrigate out of a pond or something, we can use those waters. But there's there's something about rainwater. Just makes them grow. As a matter of fact, rain does have the ability to bring down certain nutrition, certain nutrients that are in the atmosphere. And so that's why my grandfather, he always told me, he said, you know, we can pour this city water on our plants, but there's something about the rainwater. It just really does a great job at making these plants grow. And even though I didn't really understand what he was talking about then, there's something, there's truth to it. There's truth to that, that this system, this ecosystem I guess we can call it that is out here that we live in there is a purpose a plan to it and so we can see how if we were to get some nice rain plants would grow a lot of things that I have growing are just standing still they're not moving they're not putting out a whole lot of new foliage I will say that when I started irrigating some some of the beans and whatnot in the vegetable garden a couple of days later and of course I am not able to apply as much water as a rain shower would, but I did let the irrigation go for about an hour. I mean, it was just completely bone dry, the soil was. Well, a couple of days after that irrigation that I gave it, I guess we could say, those beans, they put out new leaves, new growth. So they were ready, they were trying. And I do think that if we can uh, get into a better situation with some nice weather patterns that are giving us at least a deep watering once a week your plants will just take off all it needs is probably just a little bit of water my poor hydrangeas are still wilting almost everything thing is just looking rough now with that being said about the wilting you know i talked about my forsythia and i talked about the hydrangea if plants are wilting in the middle of the day that may be very normal okay Uh, definitely during the summertime plants respond to a lot of sunlight and maybe just a lack of water, but really the heat and the sunlight. And they will sort of wilt. And what they're doing is they're shading 
shading themselves, shading the underside of their leaves because the undersides of their leaves have these pores, kind of like our skin has pores in a way. Uh, We call them stomata. And these stomata, they open and they close. And when they open, that means the plant is releasing water in the form of vapor, in the form of a gas water, or water gas, H2O vapor. <laughs> and so when the plant wilts, it sort of helps those stomata to not release as much water, to sort of shade themselves so they're not drying out and they're not losing water, especially when it's hot and uh, sunny. Now, that can be very normal for many plants, particularly hydrangeas. They may wilt if the soil is fairly dry, and of course, you've got a lot of heat and um, sunlight throughout the day. But then by evening time, when the heat of the sun is below the trees, if you will, uh, whenever it's a little cooler, they should perk up. That would be a normal-looking plant. But in this situation right now, like my hydrangeas, the the forsythia, they are wilting pretty much all the time. And so I got to throw a little bit of water on them. But then two or three days later, they're wilting again because they have depleted the water reserve that the little water that I could apply with a garden hose, they've gone through it and they're waiting for rain. I'm waiting for rain. But the reality is, is always check your plants in the evening maybe around 7 to 9 o'clock. And if your plants have perked up, you may not need water just yet because we don't want, particularly during a drought situation, to water things too much because even though your plants need extra water during a drought situation, which we're under now, we're abnormally dry, not necessarily drought, but abnormally dry, as of the 21st of June, (laughs) Things have probably changed. But regardless, your plants may not need watering, say, every day. So I've said on this show many times before, monitor before you moisturize. Monitoring can include uh, checking on your plants at certain times of the day. If the plant is full of water by 7 or 9 o'clock at night, you're probably okay to let the plant uh, hang out for another day or so. But you should always be checking the soil. If the soil is dry, which I guarantee if you haven't watered lately, you'll probably find dry soil underneath your plants. But go down below the mulch, use your hands, feel uh, how dry it may be. Now, of course, your hands are a very cheap way to feel uh, dryness and, and moisture in the soil. But there are soil moisture monitors or readers, gauges. Uh, Some of them can be electronic. Some of them may be more analog, the old school ones. But you can stick these moisture readers into the soil and they will give you a measure of how much moisture is in the soil. Again, you put the soil reader in, uh, put the moisture reader into the soil now and I know that reading is going to come back abnormally dry abnormally dry so just be sure to be checking on your beloved plants be sure to check on them as we're going through this abnormally dry time maybe heading towards a drought like some of our fellow georgians and southerners down in south georgia 
Well, if you're just joining us for this program, then I want to let you know that last week we answered our listeners' questions. The last Saturday of every month, we try to go to the mailbox, the inbox, the mailbag, pull out your questions, and give you an answer. Because even though throughout the month we want to give you ideas and inspiration uh, in a generic way, Listening to you and your specific problems in your landscape, we think, is another critical factor for New Southern Garden's mission. So be sure to check out last week's show online at NewSouthernGarden.com and, of course, on Facebook and Instagram, where you can also send us questions. The website, NewSouthernGarden.com, of course, has a contact us page. You can send off a quick question. But if you want to send us pictures or videos of what's going on in your landscape, like many of you have, just tag us on Facebook and Instagram at New Southern Garden. Last week, of course, we answered a houseplant question. Really, it was about repotting houseplants and how to do that, when to do that. Uh, We talked about naturalistic gardening and, of course, one of our uh, dreaded enemies in the garden, our foreign invader, the Japanese beetle, which is going crazy right now. So if you've got problems in any of those areas, be sure to check out last week's program online at NewSouthernGarden.com, and you can find every episode of nearly four years worth of gardening information on the website. So we're glad you're listening. And today we are going to talk about growing your garden through propagation. Now we've talked about propagation here and there. I talked about propagating tomato plants from cuttings just a couple of weeks ago. But I do now want to talk about um, more precise and maybe detailed approaches to propagating some of your favorite plants. The idea, of course, is that, well, as we are coming along into this um, July 4th weekend, July 4th being Monday, of course, I do like to, uh, I do want to relate today's show to Independence Day. And I would say that if you uh, craft your skills of plant propagation, if you refine them, fine-tune them, you can find independence in your garden (laughs) by growing your own plants, growing your favorite varieties, growing your favorite shrubs, your favorite perennials, multiplying them is going to give you a sense of freedom from the garden centers. Now, of course, this is coming from a nursery guy. You can find me at Lanier Nursery and Gardens in Flowery Branch, Georgia, throughout the week. Uh, But I still like the idea of all gardeners knowing how to grow and divide and multiply their plants, especially if you've got a few plants that are just wonderful. They're growing great. You can't find them anywhere else. Or maybe you want to share them with friends and family. Well, when we get back from this break, we're going to go through some detailed information on growing your garden through plant propagation. Hang on tight. Hey gang, do you sometimes feel like you are riding a lonely trail while gardening, all alone with no one to join in the fun? Well, join the new Southern Garden community today and find peace of mind by sharing your experiences, whether they be poor ones or successful ones. New Southern Garden is on Facebook and Instagram, so I'd love for you to friend, follow, like, share whatever it is we're doing these days. Also, you can check out our website at NewSouthernGarden.com. 
where you can not only find every episode of the show ever, but you can also send us a question via our Contact Us page. It's never fun gardening alone, so get social with the new Southern Garden family and let's grow well. Well, gang, welcome back to New Southern Garden. Of course, on today's gardening topic, we are talking about growing your own plants, or rather growing your garden by propagating your own plants. Now, maybe I should go ahead and talk about that word, propagation. Propagation is basically just the multiplication of plant material. So, reproduction, reproducing plants. Now, of course, many plants reproduce themselves very easily. And there are two main ways that we reproduce plants or propagate them. The first way is called sexual propagation, which is very natural, very normal for plants to do in your garden by themselves with no extra help. That, of course, is after a flower fades. If that flower was pollinated, then there will be seeds and fruits and seeds inside of fruits that are formed. And if those are allowed to fall on the ground and they go through the right and just particular condition, they will germinate and become a new plant. They will start to grow. So you've had one plant that threw out seeds through the process of uh, sexual reproduction, right? And those plants are, or that, so those seeds then become plants and you've got more plants. All right. Now you can do that. You can collect plants from your uh, sorry, you can collect seeds from your plants, and you can uh, sow them in trays, or you can sow them in a, a a bed where you know where they'll be, and maybe sowing them in rows will help because you'll have surely some weed seeds that try to push through, and if you have your desired seeds planted in rows, then you'll know the plants that don't fall within that row, of course, are probably weeds. So you can do that. Now, it's a laborious process, in my opinion, because plants are a lot like people, and I'll tell you why. Plants are a lot like people because every person is different than, uh, all people are different than each other, and all plants are usually different than each other. So some plants, their seed may need certain conditions in order to grow. And if you don't get it just right, you may not have good success. Some seeds are very easy to germinate. They'll just start growing on a dime, if you will. But there is another way to produce plants. There is another way to produce plants, and that is called asexual reproduction or asexual propagation. And that is where we do not grow our new plants from seeds or from anything inside of the fruit of the plant. We are growing our plant from vegetative material, okay? Not flowering material, but vegetative. That would include leaves, stems, and roots in particular. And all three of those, for certain plants, can generate a new plant. For instance, if you cut a leaf from a begonia, you can take that leaf, and under the right conditions, of course, it will generate new plants. You can take a stem cutting, and you can give it a right condition, and that will produce roots and, of course, new leaves, and the same for roots. There are many plants that readily and quickly can generate new plants from just small cuttings and sections of a plant's root system. So that is asexual. Now, the main difference 
or another difference between sexual propagation and asexual propagation is this. The sexual propagation, you don't know what the children or what your new plants will look like because that process of pollen, pollinating a female flower or female flower parts, it crosses genes and genes can be mixed and divided in different ways. And so the mother plant, let's say you have a zinnia and it's a beautiful yellow zinnia and you save the seeds from that zinnia. Well, it may have crossed with some other colored zinnias in your flower bed or maybe somebody's neighbor, uh, your neighbor's zinnias. Well, the seed then, some of them may look like the mother and they may be yellow and certain size and certain uh, shape leaf, but surely some of the other zinnias from your packet of seeds that you've saved, they may very well be pink and red and sort of orange and all shades in between. And so whenever you use um, seeds to generate new plants, just know that you may not be getting something that looks like the mother. Now, in my opinion, that's a good thing too. So obviously, if you want a plant that looks just like the mother plant, growing it from seed is not going to produce that. But if you don't want a plant that looks just like the mother, maybe you want to see if some of the seedlings from that mother are a different size plant or a different color flower. And that is how, of course, new plants are introduced into the world of gardening and horticulture is through breeding, where people will actually selectively uh, cross-pollinate certain plants so that the children, the seeds, will produce new and different plants, maybe something even more desirable or more unique or more cool. But when we go to the asexual propagation, those techniques, whether you're dividing a plant, producing a plant from a stem cutting or a root cutting or maybe grafting, all of those are what we call asexual propagation. And the idea with that is that every plant you make from a stem of a mother plant is genetically identical to that mother. So we do call these clones. And, you know, there's always that discussion about uh, cloning. You remember when, oh, what was the name of that sheep? I can't remember. Uh, gosh, it's on the tip of my tongue. But, of course, they had cloned a sheep, and they, um, I don't think it lived very long. It didn't work out so well. But genetically, it was the same at Dolly. I think it was Dolly, Dolly the sheep. Genetically, Dolly was identical to the DNA that came from another sheep. Because they cloned it. But see, in the plant world, we've been producing clones for a long time. You know, the, uh, our grandmothers and great-grandmothers, whenever they would see each other, go to each other's houses, and there was something gorgeous in bloom, they would comment to their friend while they were visiting, oh, that hydrangea is just a beautiful blue. Well, go ahead. Go ahead and take a cutting, right? Go ahead and take a cutting home. And then uh, that lady would take a cutting home, put it in a glass jar of water probably if it was a hydrangea it would produce roots and she would be growing then an identical plant to the one she saw at her friend's house so remember if you want a if you want more of the same plant 
with the same characteristics. If you want more of the same plant with same size, same flower size, same flower color, same shape of leaf, whatever, if you want more of those plants, be sure to propagate your plants asexually. And that's really what we're going to talk about today is how to produce plants asexually, particularly by division and stem cuttings. Now again, both of these methods of plant propagation are going to produce, they're going to produce a plant that is identical to the mother. And also, these kinds of propagation techniques will give you a plant much sooner than growing a plant from a seed. We talked about this a few weeks ago when we were talking about tomatoes, just as an example. When you grow a tomato from a seed, it may take 21 days, maybe three weeks or longer, for that seedling to even pop up out of the ground. And then, of course, that seedling has to put on a first set of leaves, then a next set of leaves, and then it will start growing. But it does take several weeks, maybe six to eight weeks, before you get a plant that can be placed into the garden. Well, on the other hand, with taking a cutting of a tomato, you may get roots in 7 to 14 days, and it may only take three weeks to get it out into the landscape, maybe four, rather than six to eight weeks. And so with that being said, asexual reproduction, uh, propagation, producing plants through division or stem cuttings or leaf cuttings or grafting can usually get a quicker plant uh, produced. And of course, you're getting the identical traits as the mother plant. Well, I know we're coming up on a break, so I do want to remind you before we have to head out that the we're going to talk about division first. Now, division is uh, a very simple and basic form of propagating plants. It's very helpful with perennials. If you have a lot of perennials, we're going to be using a lot of division. And if you have a lot of multi-stem shrubs, you can actually use division to your benefit. So when we get back, we're going to continue our discussion about plant propagations, particularly growing your garden by propagating more plants. Hang on tight. We'll be right back. Nathan Wilson's new Southern Garden Show is on the air. Your host, Nathan Wilson, with Lanier Nursery and Gardens in Flowery Branch, Georgia, is excited about providing information every gardener and non-gardener, homeowner, and apartment dweller can use. From vegetables to containers and compost to pruning shears, Nathan Wilson's new Southern Garden Show is here for you. Now here's Nathan. Well, gang, I have to confess that today's topic is really one of my favorite things about gardening, one of my favorite um, activities that we do as gardeners, and that is the activity of plant propagation. Of course, plant propagation really just means multiplying plants or making more plants, if you will. Um, Of course, we don't really make them. We just do certain things to them, and they do the rest because they are already programmed, designed in such a way to, if you have a stem, the stem can make roots. If you've got a leaf, the leaf can make roots, and the leaf can make a stem. And if you have a root, 
The root can make a shoot. It can make a stem and leaves. Plants are very unusual. Plants are like people, I said earlier, because they're all different and they have different requirements, particularly when it comes to propagating them. But they're also not like people in the fact that we can tear a plant to pieces, cut a plant to pieces, put them under ideal conditions, and they will generate new plants. Humans don't necessarily do that. We can't just cut our finger off and stick it in the soil and produce a new me, right? <laughs> can't do that. So plants are very unique and they can respond to such awesome ways in nature, but particularly in the garden where we can grow and propagate them. So yes, today is all about growing our garden, getting, since Monday is uh, July 4th, Independence Day, we can say uh, gaining freedom, gaining independence in your garden by producing more plants. That way you don't have to spend so much money on buying plants. But of course, new plants and cool plants when we're walking in the garden center, they're hard to resist. So sometimes, yes, we've got to buy new ones. But if you happen to have a certain plant or several plants that you just love the color of, the shape, it's one of your favorites, I'm going to give you two ways for the rest of the program today on reproducing, making more of them. And the first way that we want to reproduce, or a very simple way, a very simple way to reproduce certain plants is by the process of division. Division. Now, before we talk about division, I do want to say that some plants are appropriate to be propagated by plant by division uh, and some other plants are appropriate to be propagated by cuttings which we'll talk about later and then again some other plants are appropriate to uh, produce more plants by grafting there's some other unique ways to propagate plants by layering and air layering but regardless not every plant can be propagated by all the means all the available or known propagation routes to take. So when we talk about cuttings later, I'll go more into this, but just know that not every plant can be produced by division. Not every plant can be produced or reproduced by cuttings. We've got to look at um, some history and research to see what's worked for other people to find the best way to produce certain plants uh, from certain plants. <laughs> so let's start with division. Division is that sort of basic concept of taking a plant and literally dividing it, cutting large clumps into smaller pieces, smaller chunks. So you're, you're basically uh, digging up, say, a grass. And you know, a grass, they grow in large clumps, as do many perennials, herbaceous perennials. And as the years go by and your plants produce a larger and larger clump, you can take a knife or maybe even a sharp shovel, sharp spade, to be honest, and you can chunk that clump into smaller pieces. And those clumps will continue to grow and continue to produce more plants and new plants. Now, timing is going to be fairly critical with division. In theory, you could do it all year long, but the best time is really during the active growing season for your plant. 
which is going to be generally starting late winter, early spring, and then pushing all the way into fall. But what I have found is that um, the heat of summer may not be an ideal time unless you're going to sort of baby those divisions, those new plants. If you're going to be able to water them, uh, maybe put them in a pot with some nice potting mix under a a tree for a week or so, and then gradually introducing them into the bright heat and summer sun, that that would be fine. But really, spring is a wonderful time, late winter, because plants are about to flush out. They're going to send out a lot of, of energy to create new stems and new leaves and new roots. And so if you do all the damaging to the plant, the dividing of the plant, right before they flush out, Uh, then you'll see a quick and fast recovery. Now, if we go too late, if we divide plants too late in the growing season, as we get into the end of fall and pushing into winter, what we find is that by dividing the plants, cutting the roots, cutting the stems, cutting the leaves, because that's how division works, with all that damage being done to the plant, they can't necessarily recover quickly They don't recover fast enough during that cold season, and the roots may start rotting because they've been damaged. The stems may start rotting because they've been damaged. Maybe some leaves rotting because they've been damaged. So the ideal time, even though it sounds counterintuitive, is you you do want to divide perennials and grasses and some of these multi-stem shrubs. You would want to do it when the plant is actively growing so that it can recover quickly. Now, what kind of instrument can you use to divide your large clumps into smaller pieces? Well, I've already mentioned a sharp blade, a sharp knife, comes in very handy for many types of plants. If the plant is quite tough, rigid, maybe woody, you can use a sharp spade, right? So a shovel, probably um, a flat-tipped shovel. Um, a, I have used both the uh, rounded shovels that come to a point and, of course, a flat spade. The flat spades just work very well because they make a clean, just like a guillotine, right? Uh, one clean cut. Whereas that pointed shovel sometimes rocks to the left and rocks to the right, and it doesn't make such a clean and straight cut. But then also what I've found that works particularly with grasses and many perennials is a serrated knife, a serrated blade. So, so either use a sharp Not a dull, but a sharp blade, a serrated blade, or maybe even a gardening spade. Now, the idea when you're dividing your clumps is that you want to make sure that you keep stems and roots intact, because that's the whole idea. If you make a bad cut and you only have a a stem and no root uh, or leaf and no root, the problem then is that you've got a cutting, and that needs to be treated in a different way. But you do want to make sure that your clumps have both leaf and stem material attached to root material. Then those can either, those smaller clumps can be potted up, uh, or they can be planted directly into uh, a nice garden bed. And you would go ahead and water those divisions well, but don't keep them wet. 
If we keep them too wet, if our soil is not free draining, etc., what happens is those fresh cuts on the root system begin to rot, and that causes problems for the plant, and they may not survive. But you can go ahead and lightly fertilize because those plants, or those new plants, I should say, are going to need some nutrition and some encouragement. So division is a very simple and basic way to produce more plants. It's not too involved as far as do you need a certain system? Do you need this? Do you need that? No, all you need is a blade, your large clump of whatever is to be divided, and then maybe some pots and potting soil to pop your divisions into, or like I said, planting those divisions directly into a garden bed. Now, not every plant, like I've already alluded, is going to respond well to dividing or division. So some plants respond very well to what we call stem cuttings. And this is what we're probably most familiar with when we talk about reproducing new plants because it is very simple still. It's a little more detailed than division, but I'm going to give you all the details you need to know. So the reason we can take a stem cutting from a plant and sort of encourage it, coax it to produce roots, is because of this phenomenon that plants go through. It's a wonderful term. You ready? It's called totipotency. Totipotency. And that term just means that plants have the ability to take any cell that is in their body and turn it into a different kind of cell. So if we take a stem cutting... Those cells in the stem of your cutting can turn into root cells. And that's why cuttings work. Plants, like I said earlier, they, have, they respond so well to all kinds of treatments and harsh conditions because they can generate roots from almost anywhere along their plant. Some plants can do it more readily than others, so keep that in mind. But the idea is that we take a stem cutting from a plant. We want to make sure that our cuttings are maybe four to six inches in length, um, usually. Now, there are different seasons of wood on a plant, okay? In the early spring, there's what we call soft and green wood, and you can make cuttings from those. As a matter of fact, soft and green wood, very early young growth, can it, it's growing so quickly that if it ne needs to reproduce or rather create a root, it will very readily. So soft and green cuttings usually are ready to go in just a couple to four weeks. They've got roots very quickly. Now the semi-ripe, that is where we get into summer, uh, maybe late spring, early summer. Um, you'll know you have semi-ripe semi wood if you can uh, flex the stem. And it can create a loop, but it may just lightly snap. Okay, so it's flexible, but it does snap. Soft and green wood, new wood, is going to be very flexible, and it won't snap whenever you bend the stem and create a loop. Now, the ripe wood or the hardwood is going to be found in definitely late summer, maybe midsummer even, and that kind of wood is where you can bend the stem and it snaps automatically, just like most sticks do, most twigs do. Now, all three of these types of wood found on a plant can be used in 
propagating stem cuttings. But when it comes to which kind of wood is best for that kind of plant, you may want to do some research. Of course, you can always ask us. We've got the, the information available, and there are books on plant propagation that are available that can give you more details on specific plants, like the Manual of Woody Plant Propagation, if you're looking into propagating uh, woody plants which are trees and shrubs but regardless just keep that in mind that some seasons of wood can produce more readily or reproduce roots more readily than others depending on the type of plant that you have now when we make this cutting we want to first remove the plant or the stem from the plant so we want a cut we want a cut that is completely straight and we want that first cut uh, that removes the stem from the plant to be straight and clean. We want to make sure our pruning shears are very clean. Um, the reason why we want the bottom of the cutting to be a straight cut is that it does not, a straight cut does not allow for as much access for fungus and bacteria to come in. But then we need to make a cut at the tip, and it needs to be in a different uh a different degree of an angle and I'll tell you what that is when we get back from this quick break so again folks when we get back we're going to talk about making more plants from stem cuttings hang on tight Hey gang, it's Nathan. Thanks so much for listening to the New Southern Garden Podcast. Of course, I love providing you with horticultural information to get you growing and growing well. But sometimes you need more than just information. You need plants. So I'd love for you to join me at Lanier Nursery and Gardens in Flowery Branch, Georgia, where you can find me throughout the week. But you can find more than just me, of course. <laughs> at Lanier Nursery and Gardens, you can browse through our wide selection of ornamental trees, glorious shrubs, and colorful perennials and annuals. And I want to thank all our listeners who have already made the trek to Lanier Nursery. It's been a pleasure to meet you and hear your gardening stories. We've got a wonderful crew of folks who are just itching to help you grow your best garden ever. So check out LanierNurseryGardens.com for more information and be sure to like us on Facebook and Instagram. Now let's get growing together. Well, gang, of course, Eden Rose is encouraging you to give plant propagation a go in your landscape. Give it a try, because today we have been talking about different ways that you can produce new plants for yourself. Instead of being reliant upon the nurseries and the garden centers, this July 4th weekend, this July 4th weekend, Independence Day weekend, you can find freedom from purchasing so many plants. Find a little budget-friendly options. Of course, you can make plants that are essentially free. It just takes a little time, maybe a little bit of equipment and some rooting powders, and you're good to go. So before the break, we were talking about making the cutting from a stem and how we need to prepare it for it to in, be encouraged or coaxed, stimulated to produce roots. And we're talking about stem cutting. So already we said we need about a four to six inch, usually, stem cutting. And the cut we make to sever the stem from the plant needs to be a straight cut. It needs to be a straight cut because a straight cut allows for less opportunity for bacteria and fungus to come in 
through that cut and try to um, uh, kill your cutting. But we do need to cut the tip out of that cutting. And I'm talking about that first bud. Usually that first bud or first set of leaves, you'll notice right at the tip, that is what we call in plant biology, the apical meristem. The apical just means the tip and the meristem is a point where growth is happening. So we need to remove the tip and I'll tell you why. We need to remove the tip because the growing point, the tip of the plant of every branch harbors and stores a lot of hormone that is called plant, or sorry, which is called oxen. And oxen that is found within a plant has a lot of roles. It is a hormone, just like we have hormones that tell our body what to do. Well, plants have hormones that tell their body what to do, if you will. And oxen, even though it does a lot of things for the plant, one of the things it does do is it tells the plant to make more roots. And so if we cut the tip out of our cutting. What then happens is all of the oxen that the plant produces is distributed up and down the stem and to other areas of the plant. And when we've made our cutting from the plant and removed the tip, now we have oxen going up and down the sides of the stem. And that is going to help signal to the plant to make more roots. But when we make that cut out of the tip of the stem, be sure to cut it at a 45 degree angle, give or take, just a slight slope. And the reason is because if water sits on top of a flat, straight cut, it may allow disease and fungus bacteria to leach in. But a 45 degree or slightly sloped cut will allow water to run off. And that way, the cut of your stem that wound you've made will stay clean and dry and it won't have the higher possibility of rotting. So we've got to remove the stem. Uh, sorry, we've got to remove the tip because that oxen needs to be sent to other parts of the plant, not just being stationed up there in the tip. Then we want to dip the uh, stem into a rooting hormone. Now, if there's leaves along the stem, I like to make sure uh, that we have the uh Leaves removed, and make sure you have at least two nodes, one to two nodes, placed below the soil line when you stick this into uh, soil. I'll tell you why. Because those nodes are high activity for root development. And if you have one to two nodes below the soil, you're surely going to have some kind of root activity, root growth happening along those nodes. Nodes are just the point where a bud is or where leaves used to be. But those leaves do need to be removed from the stem, uh, except the portion of the stem that is going to be above the soil. Now, what kind of soil should you stick this uh, uh, stem into, this cutting? You need to use a well draining and particularly sterile media. Sterile media means that it's free from pathogens, it's free from bacteria, it's free from um, fungus. We don't want to be using things that may have uh, disease problems. But you can use a peat and perlite mixture, which is basically potting mix. You can use some sand and vermiculite or pine bark. All of those um, medias, they're not really soil, right? But all of those medias drain well will allow for some moisture, but not too much. If your media, whatever soil you stick your cutting into, does not drain well, 
excess moisture around a stem can cause the stem to rot. So we want to make sure that water does not hang around the stem for very long. But remember again to put that hormone on the plant because that plant hormone is a bottled uh, manufactured form of auxin. And putting that hormone powder or maybe a gel, you can also buy plant hormones as gels, is going to stimulate roots and signal to the plant to produce more roots. Now, now that you've got your uh, cutting stuck into your media, there is a battle happening. And that is a race. I should say a race, not a battle, but a race to force or encourage the plant the stem cutting to produce roots before it dries out. Because now that the stem cutting has been removed from the mother, it has no way of bringing in extra water. And water can just quickly be released if it's not under a couple of very important conditions. One of those conditions is we want to increase the humidity around the foliage of our cutting. You can do that in a couple of ways. You can mist it, first of all. You can set up a little area with misting uh, that comes on intermittently throughout the day so that this moisture is trapped around the leaf, but it's not saturating uh, the soil. The next thing would be to maybe, if you're doing this on a small scale, to drape. Drape your cutting in plastic because plastic will help to keep moisture around the leaves and inside. So what I like to do, if I have one pot with a cutting in it, I like to take a Ziploc bag, open it up, turn it upside down, and lower that Ziploc bag onto the pot, making sure I've got this little greenhouse effect, right? We don't want the plastic to touch the leaves, but it can trap moisture, uh, keeping the, the humidity around the, the cutting a little higher. Now, another thing that we need to do that's going to stimulate root growth is going to be trying to increase the temperature at the soil. So there are propagation heating pads or heating mats that you can use on a small scale. Some people will use hot water uh, and run tubes under uh, trays of hot water, and that way you're increasing the temperature of the soil pretty quickly. But the idea is that if you keep the plant misted and draped in plastic, maybe increase the um, the soil to about 73 to 75 degrees, that will speed along. That will speed along the process of, of root cutting, uh, rooting, rooting on, on a cutting. Oh, I'm getting tongue-tied. The last thing I want to say is you can water that plant, water that soil on the day you stick your cutting into it, but don't water it much again until roots form because it did, until roots form, the stem does not need a whole lot of water and too much water can cause rotting. Well, gang, here's some ideas for freeing up your garden and your gardening budget by making your own plants. I think Eden Rose would tell you to just give it a go this weekend on this July 4th weekend. I hope that um, you do get out and try to do some of this propagation because it's a great weekend to do it. We can continue to propagate uh, for many weeks to come. So with that all, with all that being said, I hope you have a wonderful July 4th. And I hope that you stay well, grow well, and propagate more. We'll see you next week. Hey, thanks for joining us for this edition of Nathan Wilson's New Southern Garden Show. If you have a comment about today's program, you can reach out to Nathan by sending an email to grow at LanierNurseryGardens.com. Also get more information at NewSouthernGarden.com. 
Join us next Saturday on Local News Radio 93.9 FM and AM 1350 for Nathan Wilson's News Southern Garden Show.